0: I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, bad movies, movies that we loved, and movies that we hated. This podcast is offered absolutely free and with no outside advertising. So if you like what you hear, please help us reach our goal of 10,000 listeners by subscribing to us on iTunes and writing us a review. You can find a link to do so at writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast. This week, I'm so excited to be doing something that we've actually never done before on the podcast. We have two different writers, Doug Jung and Emily Dell. Emily tends to comment at things from more of the independent film side, and Doug has been involved in some very famous blockbusters and big-name TV shows like Star Trek Beyond and Big Love. And what's really cool is that both of these writers have transcended a lot of the genre conventions in their writing, doing everything from really beautiful, personal, character-driven stories to big-budget action movies and sci-fi. So I wanted to start off by asking you both, when you first broke into the industry, what do you think it was that led to your success? And in the face of all the commercial and genre demands of so many different kinds of projects, how do you hold on to who you are and continue to grow your voice as an artist?
1: I want to say that like, I am still finding my way in. I think this is a long-term process, and in fact, maybe that's That one of the biggest aha moments for me of being early mid career, but not quite mid yet, I feel like my writing has grown and expanded through the help of friends who are also mentors who have given me feedback. And Doug has been one of those. And on the content side, always trying to, of course, you know, write what I believe in and write what connected to me, but also. Uh, see how that fit into an organic brand that maybe was part of my identity, you know, never having a difference between who I am and what I write is a clear part of, of the way that I look at my art. And I think that's what makes people connect both to it and to me, and then makes it easy for people to be like, hey, here's this Emily girl, and she writes grounded emotional genre, because that's also what she loves in life. So that's one thing that I found to be really helpful lately. But then also as I have been in LA for you know a while more than a couple of years and I've developed friendships and working relationships I've really tried to listen as much as I spoke learn as much as I can ask questions from the people whose work I admire and whose work I seek to emulate and use that to both improve but also if you know if they someday become come to believe in me and want to form an organic working relationship, then that's something uh, I'm obviously very open and welcome to, you know, respectfully.
2: Um, I ended up in a very fortuitous way getting some work in television, which, you know, literally like these sort of freelance things for weird shows. And that enabled me to quit my day job. At that time, I also realized I had a very lucky stretch where I managed to bank a little bit of money But I was able to take this time and I wrote a script that ultimately was picked up and um, optioned and then eventually made. And I suddenly had, in a very lucky way, both a foot in the door in the TV world and a foot in the door in the feature world. And I just sort of managed to stay in that position this whole time, which is great. But I will say that as much as I can say it was hard work and I applied myself, there's an element of luck. And from in my case, it took a long time. But I do believe that, yeah, luck is a byproduct of other things that you're doing to put yourself in there.
0: I feel the same way with my career. Almost everything that ever happened to me that was good was luck. But I worked so damn hard to get to that lucky moment. And I think one of the places where I was luckiest was that... It happened at a time where I had enough craft to actually back it up.
2: There's this element that I always see with people in these kind of panel discussions or these meet and greet kind of things that I've been to. You know, the most often asked question seems to be, how do I get an agent? How do I get somebody to read this thing? Totally valid. Totally get it. But nobody has the same origin story. You know, nobody has that thing where it was a particular path that you took. and you kind of have no control over that stuff. Like you write something, you put it out into the world. Someone's going to love it. Someone's not going to love it. Certainly you can have some direction in how it goes, where it goes, all that sort of stuff. But really the only thing you can do is go back and sort of write. So a lot of times I I get that question in like panels or film festivals or something. And I say, I don't know. I mean, in, in the nicest possible way, I say, I'm not really quite sure you must know somebody more importantly, what are you doing now? Because if you are gonna just sit there and say, I wrote this little nugget of gold, a diamond in the rough, someone just needs to discover it. A lot of times it's not like, hey, this is this great thing and we love it. They go, we like the potential this thing shows. What else are you working on?
1: Yeah, it comes along with you, know, you doing the work and you having three or four things ready and or you having the one thing ready that when they do ask for it and they read it, it's really, really good.
2: No, that's exactly right. I think the other thing that, you know, there's this kind of cliche about writers being on a certain level of the totem pole, but another way that I always try to look at it is that we actually are in the sort of most democratic position in Hollywood. In other words, we're not directors or we're not production designers or something like that. In other words, we're not beholden. We start with nothing other than your time, your imagination, a blank page. And you're off. So, you don't need 50 other people to accomplish the creative thing you're trying to do. There's not many places out there, or not many positions other than being a screenwriter, where you can do a whole movie just by yourself. And I found that as I've been lucky enough to have a career and do these things, that more and more time becomes the greatest commodity. And how you spend that time. Cause you know, if you're lucky enough and you're good enough, at some point you can kind of say, Well, I can get work, but now how am I gonna spend this time in the best way? And one of the things that I always find really interesting about talking about like mentors and mentoring relationships, like, you know, there's this idea of beginner's mind, you know, this sort of Zen Buddhist mm-hmm. idea, you know, there's nothing but possibilities. There's nothing but opportunities. And you're not sort of loaded down by experience or you haven't developed all these bad habits and you kind of connect very easily to this part of you that is so wide open. You know what I mean? Like you have access to all these parts of you that I think you can kind of lose a little bit as you start to get a little bit further on or you fall into the professional world and you start taking on those other voices in your head constantly. And a lot of times it becomes about, beating those voices back and getting back to your sort of authentic thing.
0: One of my really great mentors was a guy named Joe Blaustein. And he actually, he wasn't a writer, he was a painter. And I used to study painting with him in Los Angeles when I lived out there. And Joe used to say, don't paint on canvas, paint on paper. If you paint on canvas, you're gonna start thinking you're making art and you'll forget what it is to really be an artist he said, you want to paint on paper, feel like you could throw it away. And for me, that was one of the most valuable lessons I ever learned as an artist was this idea that rather than like trying to create the one product that's going to get me where I need to go, losing myself in like the joy and the play and the creativity of childhood of, you know, hey, I want to make something. And I got these characters that want to say something or want to do something. And the practice of navigating back to that, even as you emerge into your professional career um, and it's challenging, especially as you get an agent and you get projects. And I'm curious, how do you navigate yourself back to that place?
2: I, I have a hard time connecting with a project. If I don't find that thing in it, that feels like it is a part of me. So if a project's presented to me or if I have an idea, really taking a lot of time to figure out like, well, why, what is appealing about this to me? And what is the thing that either I wanna say or how do I connect with it? So for example, I recently um, adapted this graphic novel, a vertical book called Scalps, which is this kind of crime noir by this uh, really great writer named Jason Aaron. And it's set on a contemporary Indian reservation. But I really didn't want to let it go because I knew there was something really great in it. And it took me a long time. So I sort of came to this idea that, well, you know, it wasn't that I had this direct experience. But what I saw in it was this idea that all of the people in the book are searching for some form of the American dream. Like they're trying to get to that aspiration. Well, to me, that was an immigrant story. And I'm Korean American. Mm-hmm. My parents were immigrants. So now I could say, well, that's, that's what I can always go back to. I know that whatever the story and the plot becomes underneath it all, in my mind, I knew that what I'm doing is a reverse immigrant story. So now I had a Mm -hmm. connection. And when we got to the point of shooting the pilot, I could then talk to the Native American actors we had and say to them, I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to emulate something that I'm not. This is my take on it. And that's what enabled them to trust me. So that was Mm -hmm. one example of, finding yourself in some material that wasn't originally yours, but maybe had a very on the surface disparate connection to, you know, how you seemed on paper or whatever.
0: You've done a lot of, of rewriting work you've come on to a, a lot of projects where they didn't originate with you and I was thinking about like your work on Star Trek Beyond where you really use that theme of of you know unity versus independence and I'm curious when you're coming on to a project that already exists where someone's already done a lot of work and maybe pieces are working and pieces are not working how do you look at that existing material and, and what's your approach as you start to think about how you're going to take this in a direction that can matter to you?
2: Uh, well, for Star Trek Beyond, we were given a blank slate, whatever work was done was thrown out. So we were really going off of the franchise and Simon, Peg and I, and Justin Lin kind of had a lot of very fast discussions because we were under incredible time pressure, but like a lot of discussions about, Oh, you know, what is it about this franchise that we all gravitate towards and, we sort of all work towards that. But certainly the idea of you coming in with a new piece of it is the big attractor. You know, like it's hard for me to accept that where it's like, we want to do this, 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 and this. And you go, great. And then you go home and you go, why the hell are you me? I know nine people who could do that just as well as me. But what is that thing that you're going to bring to it that feels like, okay, people can do it. I'm going to do it this way. And it's very specific and it feels like me and I can connect to it myself. So and I've had projects where I couldn't do it, where I would read it and I'd go, I don't know, kind of feels okay to me, like, or there's nothing in here that I get. It's not my experience. So I think it's a, it's a little bit of like, know thyself. I kind of know when it's a, you know, square peg in a round hole. And I'm not afraid to say, I'm not going to try to convince you that I'm going to do a really good job with this because what I have is usually when I've gotten into trouble.
0: I'm curious, like when you're looking at an early draft of your own work, when you're looking at something that you're writing that's not working, how do you approach it in order to reconnect with what that thing in you is or to take it to the next level? Is there a process that you have?
2: Yeah. First you got to like stop yourself from jumping off a building. And then
0: I think you have just to be really honest with
2: yourself. I think you have to first kind of admit what's not working and what's not right. So sometimes... I'll look at a scene in a script that maybe doesn't work, but a scene that works. And I'll say, why does this scene work? Well, this scene works because it's really about how these two characters are talking nonstop to each other, but not really communicating at all, or something like that. You know, okay, now I've, that that works for me. And then the other thing that I find to be, this is something that I'm. it took me a while to understand, but I am completely willing to start over completely. You know, that's a drastic thing, but it's usually that, something's going to come out that reminded you of why you wanted to do this or what you felt was good about it. And it's going to be evident somewhere.
0: Emily, Doug was earlier talking about, you know, sometimes you get a, a movie and you look at it and you're like, there's nothing of me in there. I'm going to pass. And I'm curious, do you feel like you have the power to say no? Or do you feel like, do you do you feel like at this point in your career, can you say I
1: pass? I have in the past taken things that came my way, even if opportunities that you know were like no to low budgets. And I said yes, because I was so eager to do the work. And when I didn't have an emotional connection to what we were doing, it was an experience that I later came to regret. And so I learned the hard way on those that it wasn't just as, as simply as an emotional connection. It was an understanding, you know, who are the people you're getting involved with? Look around the room. You guys better be comfortable spending long hours you better have good trust within you and I have been in a couple of situations where you know like I said I was just so eager to do the work or I was one where I was so flattered that I was asked you feel so good oh gosh you want me wow uh, that you make a choice that maybe you shouldn't which is if I had if I had divorced the ego from that decision I would have been like actually you know maybe there's some things here that make me not the right fit for this but I am much more judicious now. I think this is a really important lesson for all writers, especially emerging ones, that all you have is your work, which means all you have as your name is the quality of that work. So you have to protect that quality judiciously. And that is, I'd say, the North Star for me now.
2: I've had this happen a lot, which is I'll work on a script and it'll be, you know, something that I was paid to do. and You know, it might be a script that's like, well, it's going to be tough to get set up or it maybe doesn't have the most obvious legs in the marketplace, but it came out really well. And it's like light from a dead star. You know, like there's a script that I wrote uh, on spec uh, years ago, and I always joke about this because it was an adaptation of this graphic novel. And uh, I agreed to do it, and I agreed to spec it because I really, well, I really wanted to be in that world. I wanted to sort of investigate that world and do the research. And, and it was suppression at the time politically, and I didn't make a penny off of that thing. And I had certain people in circles that I was going. This is crazy. Why are you doing this? Like it's never going to get made, you know, or it's going to. You're not making any money off of it, but you just don't know. And those things tend to hang around in the best of ways and can result in something totally unexpected or, you know, help you get a job in a way you never purposely meant it to do to get you. So it's, it's, it's a really good piece of advice that Emily's saying right now.
1: Like it takes longer than you hope, but this stuff that you do, as long as it's good, as long as it's representative of who you are and what you can do, it's good to have out there in the world.
0: I think so much of this is about finding your tribe and it kind of relates to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast when we were talking about it's going to take a little bit of luck and it might not be the project that you think is going to make you rich that actually gets purchased, but that might be the project that 10 years from now gets you that piece of work. And I think that there's some value in in refocusing that and going like, how do I find my tribe? how do I find my mentor? How do I find the director who's going to push me or the writing partner who's going to open something new in me? And so I'm curious uh, if you guys would like to talk at all about like what the collaborative process is for you.
2: Um, everybody says it's kind of like a marriage, which is like the cliche. I don't necessarily totally believe that because you get to go home to your respective homes and not be with them 24 or 7. But the idea of, you know, understanding, I think, what the other person is going to prop up in you that you don't have is important. And then also being able to be, I think, honest with the idea of or accepting the idea, if it's working, that we're better together than we are apart in this particular instance. And um, I think that, to me, is always the key, like seeking out or being lucky enough to partner or meet with someone who you really, really respect and for me that's the only thing that actually makes it worthwhile and makes it work otherwise you can get out of it
1: (laughs) if i could jump in on that real quick so doug and i met last summer i think it was and we were actually at another film festival and in my this awesome side gig i do with screencraft where i help put together panels at film festivals doug was on the panel and we got to talking afterwards but during that time, I was also, so last year, I finished a graphic novel that I've been writing for two years, and it came out in March on Comicsology to give myself a shameless plug. Then it was like, what's next for that with the publisher? And we decided this would work great as a television show, but it took a lot of engineering to figure out how does a thing that lives as a graphic novel live as a, as a TV show, and that was a lot of story work. And frankly, that took me from like April of 2017 all the way to when I finally pitched it to Doug for his feedback in December of 2017. So I did bunches of rounds of this. And then finally, when I got, I feel like it was in a place where I was like, maybe there's something here. I said, Doug, would you listen to this pitch and give me your feedback? And I have to say, that it was extremely valuable he was able to kind of slice through and be like actually I think you know you keep saying this other stuff but I think you need to root us to like what's the track that our train is running on story-wise you know without going into a lot of, um, of the actual details of the story here it there's two main characters at the center of it and he was like just keep bringing us back to those two characters over and over again because that's what we care about that's our emotional core and it helped me really strip out a lot of parts of the pitch and uh yeah i took like pages of notes while doug was giving all of this feedback and then i rolled up my sleeves and i had to throw a bunch of it out but then i kept what was good and clarified it but it was an important step in the process and so i'd just like to say to doug
2: thank you i'm glad i could help you with that i actually when we met and we talked about that see my my experience with what i was telling you wasn't so much about like the plot points. I've sat in my bar with Emily and we've talked about movies and we've deconstructed like a Game of Thrones episodes. I know how you talk about things and I know how you think about stories and stuff like that, so I had a little bit more of an advantage. But what, the only thing that I really wanted to encourage you to do as I was hearing your pitch was be that person because I've seen that person, I've listened to that person, I've talked to that person, that person's really engaging but like, just talk to me like I'm in the bar again. Like we're having those stupid Game of Thrones cocktails and that's gonna get you to connect with those people. And that's gonna get you to demonstrate that you have a deep well of understanding for this material. You wanna like understand, A, is the concept something we're into? And then B, what's her level of engagement and understanding with this
0: thing? Yeah, I think it's such great advice. You know, I think so often writers, especially writers who want to do big budget blockbuster things, they think that the answer must be somewhere outside of them, that it's in hitting the formula or some kind of specific beat or some kind of specific rule. And what I love, Doug, is that you just keep on bringing it back to this idea of authenticity or what Emily called, what's the track that this train is running on, that it's that personal thing in you that is going to create your project and your career and your connections and your tribe and that all that stuff actually really grows out of remembering who you are and being yourself in the room and being yourself on the page
2: it's funny this is something that i think about often should i take this project is this project worthy does it have merit does it but i remember listening to this interview with australian director peter weir and he was talking Mm -hmm. about when he first came to hollywood his agents were like, okay, they're offering you Salem's Lot. This is a very hot book, Salem's Lot by Stephen King. And he ultimately had turned it down. And, you know, his agents were saying, you're crazy. You know, people would chop off their right arm to do this movie. And he talked about how he went to Japan. And he was really like in this conundrum. How do I choose my projects? How do I like address my work? How do I think about it? And he went to Japan. He was doing this documentary on one of those living national treasures, a sculptor. I think he was like a potterist or something. And he had used these ancient Japanese techniques. And he said that he was just chatting with this national treasure and said, you know, it's so amazing that you get to come here every day and every day you work on your art. And the guy was looking at him like he was a little nuts and said, you know, we actually don't call it art here. We don't look mm-hmm. at it that way. That's why if you look around, everything I make, it's... A bowl or a plate or a vase it's something that you can use and he was like every now and then you get a little lucky and like the hand of the gods reach down and they touch something and it sort of elevates beyond but i'm here to do things that are useful so peter weir was saying that that sort of changed the whole outlook on this stuff he was saying I'll make movies and I'll find the things that I'm interested in. And every now and then I might get really lucky and it might elevate beyond what anybody thought it was going to be. And I remember listening to that. I thought, Oh, that's a, that's like an incredibly healthy way of viewing your work. And it's all the things that come along with any other work, but you know, every now and then you might get really lucky and something really good would happen.
0: But well, I think that's a really beautiful place to end and a great piece of advice for all writers to take the Buddhist approach to writing. Let go of that need to be the great writer or the great artist and instead to focus on telling the stories that really matter to you. Because there's one way that you definitely can't go wrong as a writer. And that's by making something useful for yourself and for your audiences. So one more thing before we sign off. Emily is actually organizing a pretty cool event with ScreenCraft down at the Atlanta Film Festival. Emily, could you tell us a little bit more about that event?
1: Yeah, I have to say, I I am so inspired by the conversation that we're having right here because I am unabashedly a nerd about the work that we all do, and I love these kinds of conversations. And one of the most fun parts of my work with ScreenCraft is being able to uh, present a forum where that happens in an environment where people can just get a beer at a bar and dissect an episode of Game of Thrones. And maybe it leads to a working relationship or a friendship or something like that. And um, it just makes me happy to to be a part <laughs> of that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really proud that we're putting together something like that at the Atlanta Film Festival in mid-April of this year. I'd really encourage any Writers listening who want to come join us to Please Do, Doug will be speaking on all things that you heard on this podcast and more, but then a great additional lineup that includes writers like Eric Heiser from Arrival and Jeffrey Fletcher from Precious and Diana Osana from Brookback Mountain and Eric Haywood from the TV show Empire. So please join us and please come and say hi to all three of us that were just on this call. And yeah, I think it's going to be great.
0: As you all know, mentorship is such a big part of what we do here at the studio. There's so much we can learn from other writers, which is why I'm so excited to be part of this event. So thank you, Emily. Doug and I will be at the Atlanta Film Festival April 13th through 16th doing panels and lectures and talking with writers. So if you're coming down, please do come and say hello. You can learn more at screencraft.org Atlanta. And thank you both Emily and Doug for all of your time today. Thanks for having us. This is great. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please help us reach our goal of 10,000 listeners by subscribing to us on iTunes and writing us a review. It really does make a big difference in keeping this podcast free for everyone. You can find a link to do so at writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast. For a complete transcript of this podcast, or to learn more about studying with me or my faculty in New York City, live online, on one of our international retreats, or as part of our one-on-one ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com.